flies. Episode 2. Holly at Christmas. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whatever time it is. Welcome to Truth of Lies. My name is Tony Horn. I'm a ghostwriter and podcaster in Lancashire, England. In East Bolden, in the northeast of the country, is Julie Phillips. If you heard episode one, our introductory podcast, you'll be aware that this is a story where half-truths made up a reality until it was unpicked over a period of time. And all of this centres around the key date, or dates, of the 27th and 28th of January 2002, when Julie's husband, Michael Phillips, was killed in an accident in Sierra Leone. What followed was quite extraordinary, and with the greatest of respect, Julie, we are used to patching together details of military deaths where there is some doubt, but there is also combat. But this was a road accident. And what struck me from our first episode was what felt like an unnecessary stance in that people were silenced. Julie mentioned people involved uh, did not come to Michael's funeral, which we'll discuss in the next episode. And as it turned out over the years, there were several moments in the lead up to that accident. accident. There were several moments in the lead up to that accident that actually were unacceptable in terms of protocol and roadworthiness. When we finished recording, I was shaking my head to think that people would go to such lengths to, well, paper over their cracks. But I guess that's something that you've had to struggle with for over two decades now. A long time. So it's important to set some context here because Michael is in Sierra Leone late January 2002, and that was to be his last tour, is that correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what was what lay ahead after Sierra Leone home and then another tour? He'd actually was transferring the well, mechanical engineers. He'd already been accepted and think, I'm assuming, that it, we would have moved maybe May, June, it was all going ahead, and that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to do it for a long time and then decided that it was obviously better career prospects, better promotion, quicker promotion. Based at home, I assume. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think more or less, and that's what he was going to do. Yeah, so In, a, new, a new future. And, of course, that is the – well, one of the tragedies about a life cut short, the dreams that lay ahead – and there is no greater example of that than uh, the 4th of December 2001. So Michael killed 
27th of January 2002, but Holly is born on the 4th of December 2001. Michael was in Sierra Leone when Holly was born? No. He was at home. Mm -hmm. And Holly is born in Blackpool. Yep. And what was that time like? Very busy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Literally had Holly and Michael was going away two weeks later. So it was obviously coming up to Christmas. So we were rushing around, getting Christmas presents, getting sorted before he went. Drove up north to visit the family. Well, obviously Michael's family because they hadn't seen Holly. It was, yeah, it was, it was chaos. But but good chaos, surely. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. But we, we, there was a lot to do, do you know what I mean, before he went away. And obviously he was going just before Christmas. Yeah, and I suppose over the years, military wives get used to the schedule being unkind. You couldn't have any sense of what was about to happen, could you? I mean, I'm, I, I think... It's difficult to put oneself in someone else's shoes in this scenario, but you would surely be thinking, just get out there, get it done and get home. Mm-hmm. It was only a six weeks tour. I yeah. mean, he'd done tours of Bosnia, Northern Ireland twice, Falkland Islands. Um, this was just a six weeks peacekeeping. It wasn't, well... It wasn't meant to be. It, it wasn't potentially life endangering. No, no, no. And that's the point. I think uh, this will touch many people, but of course this is the only time that Michael spent with with Holly. Can you, I'm sure as we, as I say those words, you can see, and I have an image in my head which I'll, explain in a second but i'm sure you can see them um and you know the sad thing is that so many of us have multiple home movies in our minds but you've only got a really small mental database to to pick from haven't you yeah i mean there was no Back then, we didn't have social media. We didn't have cameras on our phone. We still had dial-up computer. (laughs) Um, good old days. (laughs) So, like, literally, them two weeks, Michael did most of the work looking after Holly. I was exhausted. (laughs) And he would feed, change, We'd take turns getting up through the night. Obviously, he was still going to work. I think he had a week off, or maybe he's, maybe it's two weeks off. But obviously, he was going into camp to obviously get stuff sorted, you know, his kit and everything they needed and the checks and stuff like that. So it wasn't as if he had the whole two weeks off to be with us, like just because there was a lot of other things going on with the tour. Um, It's a long time ago for me. Certainly, but that sensation when you have particularly your firstborn and you are off work, and even if you are checking in, there's a 
there's an ability to float through life which is often deprived as the day-to-day nitty-gritty of existence soon returns and that can be anything from the doorbell ringing with more flowers mm-hmm. you know to changing your first nappy and to the wonder and the miracle of of life and when i said a moment ago that i have a picture in my head i'm um, julie knows this and i have made this comment a couple of times to julie but you'll post that picture on anniversaries of michael holding holly in uh, the ward on the ward mm-hmm. and there is something at the angle that it is taken I have almost a similar photo of myself and my first child and almost Michael's face is turned in that photo. And for that reason, there's a sort of, there is a sort of physical similarity. There's quite a lot of his neck showing. And my firstborn was born in Durham. Uh, Holly's born in Blackpool, but it, I found it not eerie, uh, found it beautiful, but, and maybe I'm the only person that sees this and Julie doesn't know the photo that I'm referring to from my end, but some people are drawn to each other. I'm drawn to a lot of stories. And when I saw that photo, I felt it was a sign. It does bring to mind though, the point you make about social media, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm guessing troops, forces these days have much better comms from abroad to home, but obviously there are security implications there. But, oh, for the days of... um, The baby photographer used to come round, didn't they, after about three or four days? and Mm -hmm. They'd give you a sort of welcome to the world pack, which actually as grown-ups we now understand was blatant commercialism where they want you to i don't know go to boots and get the photos developed Mm -hmm. or sign with that photographer and you can buy your nappies here and all of that but special times and also i think and i have not collected a lot of photos in my life uh and i've had a a fair old crack at this world it's a bit of a regret of mine but there is something to be cherished about the photos that you will hold from then in comparison to the thousands of disposable ones you've probably got on your phone today that you may never look at ever again. I think I've only got, I think there's, there's only one photo that I have now because that other one was the second one. And so when we came home, this guy came round the camp, a photographer, and, you know, I could do a canvas portrait, enlarged, framed. So obviously I gave him that photo and paid quite a lot of money. <laughs> and he did a runner. He didn't bring the photo back. I wasn't bothered about the money. I wasn't bothered about the canvas painting. I want. I needed that photo back because I only had one other one. That's the only two photos, original photos that I have. Because obviously wow. mobile phones didn't have, you couldn't take photos. It was from a camera. So I don't have any other 
photos of Michael and Holly. I think that will resonate with people listening. Um, The sheer sadness of it. I think there's another side, I suppose, and that we take a hell of a lot of photos that we never, ever look at again. Sometimes we'll get them out for anniversaries, etc. The pictures that we have in our mind, though, are, well, at times tormenting, but also they're real and they're there to be cherished. Yeah. You, you must, as I say, replay that movie so many times, and and I bet sometimes you you're daydreaming or you wake up and the the movie's in a different place. You know, it just <laughs> it just starts mm-hmm. somewhere, doesn't it? You know, and yeah. it can be a smell or a song or a sign on the road that just takes you back there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Wow. Um, why did you call Holly Holly? We'd always, I would, I'd always wanted to. Um, we both agreed. I think we both knew it was going to be a girl as well. We found out straight away at the scan that it was a little girl. And we'd always had Holly. It was obviously Holly with an IE, not with a Y. And um, you're quite firm about that and as though it was... Mm-hmm. A principled moment. <laughs> Why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and to be honest, she was conceived in Hollywood in Belfast, but it's Hollywood just with one L and a Y. How did you feel when you found out you were pregnant? And just talk us through Michael's movements in 2001. So presumably you are pregnant in the spring. So where's Michael mm-hmm. in in that calendar year? He was very busy. He was he was doing the Brecon. Brecon Beacons. Yeah, I think it was Commander's Course or something. He was away. He was away in Wales quite a lot. He he came home that the very odd weekend, but he was he was away for a couple of months doing that. And then obviously the training started for Sierra Leone, so it was a busy year. Oh, that's interesting. In my naivety, I hadn't considered that there might be specific training for. Sierra Leone. I just had this idea, I suppose, that people do Belfast, Belize, Kabul, and that they get used to being not literally parachuted in, but you know, um, just we're here for six weeks now and then we'll be somewhere else. So you're pregnant and planned, ecstatic. It was planned. Did you ever have conversations where, with one eye on the the job that you talked about earlier that you know coinciding with being pregnant with holly that it might be time to just hang up that backpack and put down proper roots because that's a major problem in terms of timing in a military life and also mm-hmm. an increasing problem housing affordability when people you know, particularly going to civvy life. Mm-hmm. Did you, was that part of the plan that it was, it was time to rein it in? It was part of a plan. Michael always had a plan. He was a saver. 
didn't really like spending money. He was quite tight with his money. He was organised, very, very organised. And I think, obviously, with him transferring to this new job, it was better pay, better job prospects, better promotion. I think the next thing for us was buy a house because we hadn't even done that yet. What is but it I like think- being a, a military couple with child living in military accommodation? What is what is that like? For me, I, d- I didn't. I was used to it. I think not used. I hadn't done it before, but obviously I'm ex army, so I kind of. You know, I was the nosy wife who I would ask Michael every day when he came home from work, what's happening? What's going on? What's this? What's that? Whereas a normal, I don't mean any disrespect to any army wife, but, you know, the properties wouldn't ask or the husband wouldn't tell them or they wouldn't tell them the truth or that's just the way it is. But for me, I was nosy and obviously I worked on camp as well. So I made it my job to know everything. I'm I'm just nosy and I just like to know things and I like to I like to know everything. So I always asked. And I think maybe it's from my army background as well. Kind of knew about the army and a lot of my um, friends um, at army, a lot of them have done twenty two year. So Would he tell? Because we 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 haven't yeah. we, we we do have Again, and I apologise to anybody military listening, and let's break down some stereotypes, but, you know, there are certain perceptions about people that go into the army, and one of them can be that they've come from a broken home or had a troubled childhood, and they're looking to find a family and a reason. That could be one of the reasons. You know, Mm -hmm. that's true. Um. It's the kind of job, and that might be the kind of background that might make you reticent at times and not want to talk about it. If you're in training on camp and going through drills, etc., etc., um, there's a sort of abstract feeling to it, and it's not the reality of being out there in Kabul, etc. But we know from our own grandparents, we didn't talk about the war. A completely different generation and era and social setting and some of the things that people saw from Dunkirk to D-Day, you know, you might not want to talk about them. Nowadays, of course, we Mm. say it's good to talk, don't we? And it's okay not to be okay. You can understand why those end-of-the-day husband and wife conversations might not happen but as you say you were ex-army and let's just look at your as they say backstories just tell us tell us what ex-army meant in your life what were you so i joined at 17 years and three months and i joined the royal army nursing corps well it was the queen alexander's royal army nursing corps then only females um and i did uh, five year just under five years by the time I got out. I only said I was going to do three. I signed up to do three. Didn't do any tours. Basic training and older shot and then courses in Catrick. Um, drew you to the role? I'd always wanted to join the army or, uh, since being a kid. Or, always. And so I did it. 
can can you see in your mind one image or one movie or one uh, glamorization of armed forces life or one no. story from the second world war the great no. escape the movie you just it's just in your in your genes yeah and i can remember and, going to the army careers office at 16 when i left school <laughs> and he went oh come back in a year he says but you'll not you'll probably be pregnant by then <laughs> and, I <was> like, <laughs> and i went no i'll join um and i did would that it was be... the hardest thing I've ever done. Mind, it's not. It's not easy. What, being but... pregnant and joining. Oh no, sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. You know what I mean? It was. I'd have. I have no regrets. I have no. And no, regrets. no family history of being signed up in forces. Forces life. No. No, 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 no. And why? No. Why did you love it so much? Is it was it community spirit? Was it sense of doing good? Was it every, yeah, it was every just, day is a different know, day? I, just, I mean, it was hard work. The training, uh, you know, I, I was I became really physically fit, very, very fit. But I've still got friends. We, I'm still in touch with all my army friends who I joined up with. You know, they're all over the world, some in Canada, they're all over the place, but we're, we all keep in touch by, via Facebook. And that was 1999. 1999, I joined. No, 1989. <laughs> <laughs> I finished school 87 and I joined 99. 89, sorry. I've got 99 well, on the brain. <laughs> you tap into that camaraderie there and it's true that people don't have jobs for life like perhaps our parents did uh, it's true that people move around it's true that people often don't just have one marriage anymore but camaraderie mm -hmm. deep rooted friendship is not to be sniffed at and i'm pleased that you say that now you got confused there with 87 89 and 99 mm -hmm. but 1999 perhaps alongside 2002, arguably one of the most significant years in your life. Tell me how you met Michael. Met him in a, a nightclub in South Shields. Which one? Um, the nightclub was called De Niro's. It doesn't exist anymore. And he was on the... I'd seen him a few times... It did not look like a squaddy. Is that a, a positive? Yeah, I think, yeah, because I always said I would never marry a squaddy. <laughs> <laughs> so where where was Michael born? In um, Jarrow, which a couple of miles away from here. And what year? Same year as me. He was born March the 6th, 1971. Um... You'd seen him a couple of times before. I mean, at the risk of upsetting everybody that I've come to love in the Northeast over the years, we can't escape the fact that the Northeast is one of the biggest villages in the country. <laughs> yeah. And I imagine if you do go to the same place week in, week out, you might well. Yeah. Particularly in a place like South Shields. 
see the same same kind of crowd did you have a night that you would go was it a thursday night or something everyone always says the weekend starts on a thursday night in the northeast of yeah England. i think it was a saturday night when i when i met him he was a good dancer a very very good dancer and he was dancing at the side of the dance floor what were his <laughs> tunes struck me <laughs> stuffed to some i don't know what it was haven't got a clue and that just so we're clear that is that that's something that stayed with him outside the nightclub into the living room yeah not just yeah. for show he, yeah. he was honestly he was he was a very good dancer and so was and holly obviously is a very good dancer as well well that's very interesting there i'll write that down and we'll come back to that because holly now is a young lady of course and we need to look at that passage of time and we need to try and make sense of in a future episode of what her life has been and also i suppose julie touches on it there that transference of genes and there's one straight away and one of the lovely things when we do a a show like this obviously the detail is uh, heartbreaking at times but you can see already that in this episode we're, we're smiling too and everybody remembers the big stuff so you can go and google michael's death and you can find articles about the areas of negligence which we discussed in episode one but priceless are the anecdotes mm. and i just think that that's great i mean tell us tell us it's 1999 now let's think i was working in the northeast at the time it was a real vibrant time for the area football in particular newcastle united doing uh you know, in that period, 96 to, to 2000, I think a couple of Wembley trips and Sunderland in the Premier League, I think was, I think they were second on Boxing Day 1999 going into the millennium, of course. And the Stadium of Light is a couple of years old. Status quo, open it up. It's a thriving time in an area that thrives on its football. And of course, not 15 years before 1984 the minor strike decimates the area but industry is thriving places like nissan and love or hate your government of the day it's a fact that the government chose to locate many it jobs and many department of work and pension roles etc in the northeast so for the area i think a uh, a prosperous time you must have been flying it was a good year a very good year met michael in the may 99 and we got married in october 99 no hanging about then no nope. <laughs> i said i'd never get married i would never have children um <laughs> it's just the way it happened we met we got on really well we fell in love. He asked us to marry him. I said yes. And that was that. Can you remember? There's all sorts of words that can follow the sentence, can you remember? But can you remember that first 
meeting of eyes can you remember that first song can you remember the first words that you shared were you alone or were there a crowd of mates a lot of questions there but you can see it in your head i'm sure we were in the nightclub when we met he was dancing and obviously i think i'd walk past him a few times and and he just grabbed us by the arm and said would you like a drink so we just went and sat at the bar and just he was very cheeky always smiling a lovely smile or like a very cheeky chappy like everybody liked him everybody was well liked by a lot of people and he was yeah he was he was a good lad funny funny as well how did he propose actually it was in um catrick at his friends they were a married couple they had a, a, an army quarter and they invited us to a barbecue and we stayed over obviously because we'd had a drink and he asked us he asked me when we went to bed and i just i just laughed and said ask me in the morning <laughs> and had a bit you know a bit of drink and, and he did and he said no seriously you know yeah well, that's lovely i mean you must have been you know people can say it's a whirlwind romance but you can say you must have been captivated by each other and particularly if you come from a starting position of i'll never marry a, a squaddy or mm -hmm. yeah so the wedding so we got married in south shields registry office which is now knocked down and then it was an after party well reception afternoon reception at the west park pub upstairs which is now sainsbury's <laughs> you must have fun revisiting all your old haunts <laughs> yeah i mean it's just they're just up the road from here do you know what i mean so but it was a, yeah it was a good day i mean my parents me mum me mum and my stepdad did say look if you want to wait till next the following year we'll pay for a big wedding, you can go abroad. And we were like, no, no. We paid for them for most of it ourselves. It wasn't a big fancy do, you know. It was just what we wanted, and it was a good day. As kind as your parents were, nobody knew that you were on borrowed time. Um, uh, how often today do we see, and unfortunately, Julie and I are both at that age where hardly a week goes by now where we don't hear some bad news about somebody that we care about or somebody that we've lost touch about and that is you know one of the benefits of social media that you can wander back into someone's life with compassion in fact it's happened to me today and yesterday but everybody always says don't they you don't know what you've got till it's gone and everybody always says seize seize the day tomorrow is not guaranteed and when we look at the timeline here, this is October 1999, and by January 2002, we're in completely different territory. Did you have a honeymoon? No. The following November, we did go to Tenerife. That was our only one holiday. Obviously, with Michael, because we got married, we were in posted to Catrick. And then the following July, we went back to the battalion, which was in Belfast. So that, that November, while we were in Belfast, came back home and then we flew out to Tenerife. And the millennium? What, what, what's an army life millennium like? Working? 
on call or crazy times? Yeah, that was our only Christmas together. <laughs> and for the millennium, we went to friends of Michael's, well, husband and wife, and they had a party, fireworks and stuff, just something local, do you know what I mean? It wasn't. So married life begins and Michael <laughs> is in Catterick and you are not in South Shields but going to Catterick? Yeah. We got a married married quarter in um, Catrick and moved in there. And what happened to your job? I wasn't working at the time. I'd not long been laid off. I was working at Fire Systems, which was a factory, a big company in South Shields. So, but as soon as I got to Catrick, I got a job. I was working actually in one of the regiments, um, barracks. It was just like cleaning and, you know, after they'd come for the lunch, cleaning up after them and... I didn't stay there very long, and then obviously I got a job as a receptionist in a sunbed shop. So for the foreseeable future, how long are you two in Catterick? Got married in the October, and we were in Catterick till the following July 2000. And then then we went back over to Belfast because that's where Michael's regiment was. Well, let's talk about his career. And in 1999, he is 28. Has he worked hard and achieved a lot to get to that rank at that age? He was corporal. So when did he join join the army? He, he joined at 16, and it was the Royal Green Jackets. It's now rifles. But but he left, didn't he? Yeah, he did, actually, yeah. I'm not exactly sure when, but he left, I think, for about a year and a half, maybe a year, and then he went back. And what did he do in that time that he was away? I know he worked. I can't. I can't actually remember what he did, what he was doing. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure. And then he re-enlisted about a year and a half or so after that, which yeah. shows probably that it's in your blood, isn't it? It's it's mm-hmm. you know it's part of what defines. I think it's stability, defines. isn't it? Stability and kind of a guaranteed income, and and I think he was used to it, so he decided to go back. But he'd obviously done well to rise rise through the ranks there. Yeah, he was he was he was good at his job. I mean, he wasn't the, the word the term is like army barmy. <laughs> you know, like um, he wasn't. It was a job to him, and he did his best, and he was well liked, and he and he was a grafter. You know, he like he he worked hard, and obviously it was his job. But he liked his downtime as well. He he was crazy on sea fishing. Crazy, absolutely. He wasn't a football fan. Not he didn't wasn't keen on football at all. But sea fishing, yeah, mm-hmm. he was crazy for it. Every downtime he used to go. Even when we were in Belfast, he'd drive off somewhere and go sea fishing. <laughs> Life has changed, and people do move around more. But I think, well, there was a feeling that people from the northeast would would end up back there at some point. Um, you're only up the road for a period in, in Catterick's. It's what, less than an hour? Did you embrace moving around or did you have that emotional tug back to the area? Didn't mind. Didn't mind. No. Just didn't bother me. I mean, I'd been in Catterick many times when I was in the army on courses. So Belfast, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Nice place, lovely people. Obviously different for me. I wasn't going out patrolling, you know, to, but it was a nice place. Well, that's a good point, though, because there has been 
or the old movie, but the the role of the ever supportive wife, it's I won't say it's the easy job to go out on patrol, but one's time is filled, isn't it? When there's yeah. a job to do, yeah. you've got to fill your you've got to fill your time, but and not all army wives settle, do they? So No. I mean, obviously, as soon as we got to um, Belfast, I got a job straight away on the camp, full-time. So I was working full-time. Michael was away a lot because they'd do patrols where they'd go away for a couple of weeks at a time out of the area. So he was even working that Christmas and New Year. I think he came home <sighs> Christmas lunch for a couple of hours and then away again. And, yeah, I didn't see, I didn't see a lot of him. So you've you've got to be that type of person where you've got to you've got to adapt and there's a and there's many times of being on your own. I was on my own a lot. You were on your own. By nineteen ninety-nine, two thousand, Belfast is a completely different place to what we were led to believe it was growing up, seventies and eighties. Did you feel mm -hmm. comfortable there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you had to be careful. You were told, oh, you couldn't go to certain places. More so for Michael than me. But it didn't didn't bother me. When Michael had time off, we used to go shopping. I went fishing with him one time. I mean, obviously, you spent quite a lot of time on camp, on a big army camp. That's where the married quarters were, so you were protected. But I didn't feel unsafe. At all, never, ever. Did your view of the world change when Holly comes along? I mean, instinctively, everything changes, doesn't it? Holly's born yeah. in Blackpool, of course. Yeah, Blackpool, yeah. Mm -hmm. In the short time that Michael and, and Holly were together, can you see parents, mothers, fathers have their little ways sometimes with with children it could be over a little a lot of little children like to hang on to a blanket or a little toy my daughter was obsessed by this little elephant we got from mother care called eric and oh tragedy disaster when we lost it <laughs> and there are little idiosyncrasies that belong specifically uniquely to to that relationship did did michael and holly even get going in in that regard no 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 i think the two weeks was just chaos <laughs> You know, you've got a newborn. You, you, it's your first. It was my obviously my first, and now you don't know what to do. You're shattered. You're obviously trying to get things sorted. You know, he's going away on tour. It's coming up to Christmas, and obviously, I was going home to my family. They were coming down to pick me up to take me home to stay over Christmas and New Year. So I think it was just kind of like adapting. To being a family and parents and sleepless nights and it was kind of like can you, chaos can you sum up what it's very difficult this but can you sum up what holly 
Holly was like in those first few days or I mean it, it's such a difficult and unique thing I mean I, I can recall my own son didn't seem to open one of his eyes or half open for about a week it was and I've never never forgotten it uh, very very strange and moving to think about it and of course turn you know full of life <laughs> full mm-hmm. of life to follow can you see what can you see when you picture holly at that first week of december 2001 or do you only see her now she was tiny very awake she didn't sleep very much literally every three hours she was awake throughout the night and you're constantly fussing over them, aren't you? Are they all right? Do they need feeding? Do they need changing? Yeah. You know, like, I suppose there was both of us there. Did you think you knew what you were doing? <laughs> Who does? <laughs> yeah, I did, but Michael did a lot of it. And actually, just before he went away, he had to show me how to use the steriliser and the stuff. And I was like, so while he was away for six weeks, that's how long it took me to get into a routine because I had to, because I was going to be on my own with this two-week-old baby, and I was like, I didn't drive then neither, so I was kind of on my own. And and how tiny is tiny? She was only six, twelve and a half, born. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you what tiny is, because mine was, my third child was, Wow. 312 I think mm-hmm. eight weeks premature so you must have when Michael leaves the country I'm I don't know I'm gonna guess you probably wanted to get home home for for Christmas and for help mm-hmm. I think it was just kind of like the family had said look come home for Christmas and I suppose there was a lot of like wives my friends still there with the husbands and a lot of them had children so they might have gone home to the family for Christmas and stuff. So that was just the thing that I would go home. Can you remember the day Michael headed back to Sierra Leone? Yeah, it was um, <clears throat> it was late at night, and he'd getting all his kit ready. He was ready to go, and he came into the bedroom. Holly's cot, cot was next to my bed, and he came in, and said, "Tara, to me, give me a kiss." And he looked over the cot and he looked over right in and Holly and he said bye. And then he walked away to the bedroom door and then he turned round. And I know probably people aren't going to believe this, but that look that he looked back at her in the cot and it was like, I don't know, that, that look like, was it going to be his last look? It was just weird. I suppose you don't kind of think of it, you know what I mean, until things happen and that was it. There was kind of, there was no tears, you know, I've, for me or... I've heard similar stories from many walks of life that say similar things. And, of course, it's very difficult to work out in the moment what we processed and then what we've how we've evaluated that over over the years. When you said that to me, you made me recall a passage in uh, the book of Terry Owen, the widow of, of Steve Owen, the Australian legendary crocodile hunter. And mm-hmm. 
Steve Irwin famously died at the hands of a stingray yeah. uh, diving uh, in a place m- most tourists will never go. But that was, I think, Steve Irwin. I may have this incorrect, but I believe that Terry Irwin and Bindi, the daughter, were, I think they were in Tasmania at the time. And they walked out of a shop or something. And one of them turned to the clock. And I think said something like, oh, it's insert random time 20 to 12 and then walked off and of course that was the moment in another place in australia where where steve irwin perished and it's a very hard thing and possibly exclusive to death to work out if these are just moments or if they had significance a lot of this depends on your attitude to religion and your beliefs in spirits and other other worlds and other forces i have a friend who's a medium who tells me all sorts of things and i take it with respect and wonder or are we just with the passage of time airbrushing you know a look that michael gave to Holly, it's so impossible to know a split second moment. I suppose whatever makes us comfortable is is the way to go. But I think what's definitely key there is that he said bye and then turned. Yeah, and I'm sure that that is a moment that you've seen in your head a million times. Presumably, you don't go to. Well, I'm guessing it's not the airport, but it's an airfield. As he leaves, you don't you don't see him off, do you? Not allowed. No. Not allowed to do that. No. You're not even allowed to go into camp with him. The camp was literally over the road from my house, obviously in a barracks. In the camp, army camp was separate by high fencing, but you're not allowed. You weren't even allowed to go over with them. No. And he he left for Sierra Leone for the final time on... 20th of December. Wow. Do you have any allowed communication over the Christmas period? Yeah, not, not much. He, he rang his Christmas day. They'd been to the beach swimming. They got out of the water quickly because there were sharks. <laughs> so he told me. Before he was killed, I hadn't spoke to him for about 10 days because he was in the jungle and there was no communication. That's something that you wouldn't consider abnormal, is it? No, no, no. When, on the night that he leaves, what's your tummy like? Are you, and your mind, are you thinking this is... I know you've got to go, but this is not the time to to be going, and I really don't want you to be going right now. Or are you just, this is what our life is, as so many military families know. A few days before, the midwife came to see me, and you know you have this kind of like tearful 
after pregnancy and I started crying and Michael came and he was like, oh, what's the matter? You know, like he wasn't like kind of the, the soppy type. He was like, you'll be all right, man. You'll be all right. I'll not be long. I'll not be long. And obviously the night he went away, I, I was fine. Do you know what I mean? It was, he was just going away on a little tour, six weeks, coming home. That was it. And do you know, did he have a picture of Holly or you to take with him? Yeah, I think he did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I sent him blueies as well. Let's sent him a lot of blueies letters. I wonder what you meant there. <laughs> blueies. <laughs> they're called blueies. That's how you used to. I don't think anybody writes them anymore. But it was um, Air Force mail, so it was blueies, oh, yeah. and it was it was yeah. free. So it was it was like writing a letter every day. You're relentless. <laughs> Not every day, but I did send them quite a lot. You know what I mean? And there must have been a lot of because that's the thing when a child is born, there are changes every day. So though they must be, they must be uh, surely, in your words, a very early history. Holly's done this. Holly's done that, and today she slept four and. She's got a hiccup or there's a rash on her leg or surely that's surely that it's in there. I can't, I can't even remember. I can't remember. Did you, I assume you received the letters. Did you ever get them back? Nope. Because stuff went missing <laughs> from Sierra Leone. So the only one that I got back was a one from his mum. All mine. Didn't get any of them. Wow. The plot thickens. So that's the background to Julie, Michael, and Holly. It takes us up to the 27th of January, 2002. We know what happened next. And at the end of the first episode, I asked the question, what is it actually like to be the military widow as the process of bureaucracy and let's be honest a well-oiled machine of repatriation begins does it always go smoothly does it ever go smoothly well you're about to find out that information was not exactly forthcoming next time on truth of lies and on the monday nobody knew where michael's body was it gone missing to find out more please visit secretsofaghostwriter.com truth of lies is a horny media and publishing production